0: Today we come together as River and Waves' first gathering to celebrate the most important day in all of human history, amen, amen. Amen. We come together to celebrate Jesus' resurrection, his raising from the dead, a day that will go on to change humanity forever, as we see still today. Just a few days ago, we look at Good Friday, which is the day where the the historic church practices remembering what it was like the day that Christ died the day that Jesus died and was crucified upon the cross and his body put away in a tomb and we go home and we grieve and we mourn because preparing because walking through Jesus death prepares us again for the heart and the joy that is resurrection so on Friday on Good Friday while we grieve today we dance and we sing because jesus is risen from the dead matthew's story of mary and the other mary the other mary is most likely mary the mother of of joseph um, and james and and their story about uh, faithfully seeking after jesus he's dead he's in the tomb they're faithfully seeking to go to tend to their rabbi to tend to their friend so they're going they're on a journey and while they're on their way, an earthquake strikes, and then an angel appears before them. He rolls back the stone, and he sits on it, which in my opinion is a really weird detail to include in a story about resurrection, but Matthew includes it, so it's there. So the angel sits on the stone after it's rolled away, and Mary and Mary show up, and the angel says, well, why are you here? What are you doing? Jesus is not here. He said he wasn't going to be here and he's not. Do, do you want to look where he lay? He's not there anymore. He said he was going to rise three days later and he did. He's gone. He's not here. Go and tell the disciples. Tell the rest of them that Jesus has gone before you to meet you in Galilee. And the women, they are, they are afraid and filled with joy. Both at the same time or in mark's gospel he actually uses the words that the marys are trembling and bewildered they're trembling and bewildered because back then much like today when dead people are laid to rest they usually stay dead but we normalize this story when we look back at the easter story the resurrection story of course we look back and think like that's what Jesus does he rises from the grave he's raised from the dead and so we don't give Mary and Mary quite enough credit that they're due we look on them and wonder like oh I wonder why they didn't just believe like we would have just believed we think we would be so quick to like oh of course Jesus said that I'll just believe it and he'll raise from the dead It's not a normal experience to them that their friends just like get up out of the grave. And so the disciples don't know the whole story yet and and it's important to sit in the reality that Mary and Mary are both um, overcome with joy and afraid. It's like if you were to go visit the grave at a cemetery of a loved one that's passed and we all have them. And when you went to visit and you sat at the grave And you're sitting there just kind of like praying to God and processing how you miss your friend or your parent or your family member. And all of a sudden, that person just shows up and taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, let's have a chat. How are you? And at the same time, we would both be like terrified of what's going on and so excited to have one more conversation with this person that we love. So we, in the same way, if that were to happen to us, would be overcome with fear and filled with joy. And so when Mary and Mary experience that, everything in their world changes, because just a few days prior, their world quite literally died. Everything in their life was built around the person and the way and following of Jesus, and he just died on a cross everything they had built their life around crumbled on good friday and today they have new life in them again so they run they run to the other disciples to share with them the good news that jesus is risen and that he's going to meet them again and as we've been praying this week that that, that kind of posture that part i've just been praying that that would awaken in the church again in jesus's people That we would be an excited, joyous people for the good news of Jesus. So in that moment when everything changes, can you imagine how that must feel for them? It's the kind of feeling that makes you run home to tell your friends to come out and see this joyous experience. And in the ancient Near East, at the time when Jesus lived, there are actually lots of people who declared themselves as the Messiah or as the Savior of Israel. Israel, if you know anything about Israel's story, they've been waiting for generations upon generations for a Messiah figure to come and redeem the people of Israel. And so there's actually multiple people that, that proclaimed themselves as Messiah. And they all died just like Jesus died. But unlike them, Jesus rose again. You see, our God is the God who takes dead things and he brings them back to life. So why, as we celebrate this Easter, why is Jesus' resurrection the very foundation of our faith? The Apostle Paul, in the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15 says, If Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile, and you are still dead in your sins. And earlier in that chapter, Paul says that it's, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then your faith is useless. Church, hear that for a second. This is God's word. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, your faith is useless. And in both of these passages in 1st Corinthians the English word faith is used and and quite often in English language and even in church kind of culture the word faith has come to mean something that like it's something our minds believe to be true let me say that again the word faith means something along the lines of something we have come to believe to be true. And that word pistis in the Greek, in the original languages, actually means something quite different than something we mentally ascribe to or mentally believe. That word pistis has much more to do with, like, to whom your allegiance belongs. Or to a deep trust that I have in something, and that trust drives me to action. It is a trust that is followed by, like, a giving of life. allegiance to and so when Paul uses those words it's important when he uses the word pistis it's important that we understand what he's actually saying because as Paul says that word, if Jesus did not rise from the grave then our faith is useless if we take the common English use of that word if Jesus did not rise from the grave then our mental belief in him is useless and if that were to be true it actually wouldn't affect Quite much but if we take the word pistis for what it more accurately means if Jesus were not to rise from the dead then our faith would be useless or our allegiance to him alone would be useless it actually changes quite a lot and the difference here is is something that we've come to believe in the church Sometimes we believe we think that Jesus's resurrection is about bringing assurance of our salvation And you would not be completely wrong to think that but you would also not be completely right to think that Jesus's resurrection is not merely about saving you or I from the flames of hell It's not merely about like In our death that we are granted wings and harp to worship him forever. That's not what Jesus' resurrection is about. Jesus' resurrection is about a new life that forms as an allegiance to King Jesus. Where we actually become who we were created. Where we actually become who God created us to be. That is what resurrection is about. Historian and theologian, N.T. Wright, says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. And what N.T. Wright means when he says that is that your story in life in Bakersfield has been made new by Jesus' resurrection, and that is a part of heaven coming to earth. That we would be the people of heaven here in Bakersfield. That God would tell a new story in our good old city. Jesus' resurrection is what gives hope to the oppressed, healing to the sick, and hope to the hopeless or maybe a little closer to home. Jesus' resurrection gives meaning to some one time Jesus' resurrection gives meaning to sometimes what feels like the meaningness, meaninglessness of life. Jesus' resurrection gives love to the deepest part of your heart's and soul that feel unlovable. Jesus' resurrection invites us to be a part of a new family where we don't have to feel alone anymore and which one of us has never felt alone you see Jesus's resurrection it, it surpasses every pain and suffering that we come to experience in this world every hardship Jesus gives us new hope and the promise of new life and so whether you or a friend has been like overcome with cancer or some other disease that just like continues to whittle away at your body. And it seems like there's like no hope of recovery and you're just not who you used to be. Jesus's resurrection is for you and for that story. Or maybe you and your partner have... Struggled with infertility. You've tried time and time and time again. And you just can't get pregnant or keep baby to full term. And it becomes all consuming at like an emotional and relational cost. As you work through the difficulty of that situation. Jesus' resurrection and hope is for you. Or maybe there's just a a relationship in your life that is just like totally destroyed. And it hasn't just destroyed that relationship, but it's actually like affected your soul. It's actually cost you something substantial. And, and, and when you think about that person, all you think about is like pain and heartbreak. All you think about is the reality of what's been lost. And Jesus' hope and resurrection is for that story. And maybe none of those are you today. Maybe your story may be more like my story where it's just been a hellish of a year for our family. It's been extremely difficult and extremely hard. And you actually don't see an end inside in what feels like is in front of you, you just can't control or seem to make better. And today we celebrate that Jesus' story is for that story too. You see, our God takes dead things and he brings them back to life. And because of that, because God is the only one who does that, our trust can only be rightly placed in him and in him alone. Our trust can't even be placed in the mending of a relationship as good as that may be, or getting pregnant as good as that may be, or things getting easier as good as that may be. Our trust can be placed in him. And because Jesus rose from the dead, it is not just Jesus' death and resurrection that matter, but the resurrection validates the life and the teachings of Jesus. It expands his reason for coming, Jesus' reason for coming, from one, to pay the price for our sins alone, which he did. Let's not forget that. That is settled and done. But it expands to something that matters in the today. It matters for your story today. You see, church, we must stop believing the lie that because we are saved, because we follow Jesus, because we have eternal life, that our life does not matter today. What you do with your life matters. What you do with your body matters. What you do in your days, in your weeks, the way you parent, all of those things matter. They matter because God says they matter. And he is God, and he has the final word. Back to historian and theologian N.T. Wright, who says the point of resurrection is that the present bodily life, this life, is not valueless. The point of a resurrection is that this bodily life is not valueless because it will die but that what you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. And so the hard work that's in front of us each and every day, the hard work of like praying and parenting, the hard work of praying for our friends at work or showing up faithfully the hard work of choosing to love your neighbor and love your enemy, those things matter. They matter to God. They matter, and they are a part of kingdom work that Christ has set before us as his church to participate in as his kingdom breaks in more in this city. You see, and, and, and that's a part of God's story from the very beginning. He's never this distant God that is far off. He's always near and wanting to partner with people in the work that he is doing. It starts in in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says, God blessed them, speaking right after the creation of Adam and Eve, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. From the very beginning, God uses words to his people like, be fruitful, fill, subdue, rule over. This is participation kingdom language from the very beginning. God does not say, let me do my work, and you just kind of stand off in the corner. God says, I've created a good garden. Now come with and tend to it with me. And he's doing the same thing today in this city. So as we look to fill our lives with God's kingdom, we want to orient and we want to root ourselves to the teachings of Jesus that so clearly talk about Jesus as our king and we understand what Jesus as our king values as a part of his kingdom. Because church, we are are Easter people. We are Easter people, new hope and new life people. We are resurrection people that carry resurrection culture wherever we go and whatever we touch. And ultimately, participating in Jesus' resurrection means participating in a life that looks like Jesus' life. And because of that, as a church, we are going to look at the Sermon on the Mount both right now and for the next eight months together. As River and Way is launching, we are grounding and rooting ourselves in the teachings of Jesus, and we want to move slowly through those teachings to understand what participating in Jesus' kingdom life actually looks like. And Jesus most clearly explains this through the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, through 7. And the Sermon on the Mount is is a beautiful set of teaching. Many people describe it as like the greatest religious and philosophical teaching in all of human history. And I would agree with that. But but it's not just Christians who ascribe the Sermon on the Mount in that way. Many people of all religious backgrounds, in all faiths, look at the Sermon on the Mount and, and realize that there's like deep universal truths that exist is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. And so while a person may go on a spiritual journey and may end up not in Christianity, may end up not as a Jesus follower, they often end up grabbing the Sermon on the Mount and dragging it into whatever sort of spiritual life or practice they build for themselves. People across the world look to the Sermon on the Mount to understand the fundamentals of practicing Life. Muhammad Gandhi, who was not a Christian, commented on the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, Christ's Sermon on the Mount fills me with bliss even today. Its sweet verses have even today the power to quench the agony of my soul. And he's not a follower of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is, is often the most misunderstood and avoided teaching in our church today. Uh, In church history, there are three kind of main categories, three main ways the Sermon on the Mount is viewed. Uh, The first way that's viewed is that it's this like unrealistic moral uh, law that we can't ever quite fulfill. And so we see it not as like the way Jesus invites us to live. We see it as the necessity of why we need grace that the Sermon on the Mount exists to point us that we need God's grace. The second way church history kind of views the Sermon on the Mount is that it belongs in certain places for certain people, that it belongs in relationship dynamics, but it doesn't belong in business or culture or in society, that it belongs for like really serious Christians or it belongs for clergy, but it doesn't belong for the everyday follower of Jesus. In both of those two teachings, we reject. We do not believe those teachings. We believe in the third teaching that's kind of uh, normal through church history. We believe that Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount are for each and every follower of Jesus in every aspect of human life. And while it is a very difficult teaching, and it is, Trust me, and I wish in good conscience I could take either of the two other views and give me like an out to obey the most difficult teaching, some of the most difficult teaching in the scriptures, but we can't. So, so we lean into these spaces, and we set the bar high at Jesus's ideal, knowing that we need grace. We know that. But we will err on the side of leaning into new kingdom life, that Jesus' resurrection that we celebrate today invites us to participate in. Or as the famous German pastor and theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, once spoke about the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus. He said, he, speaking of Jesus, does not mean for us to discuss the Sermon on the Mount as an ideal. He really means for us to get on with it. He means for us to get on with it. When I read that, in my mind, I hear Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who I don't know, and don't know what he sounds like, but in my mind, I hear him saying, like in common vernacular, modern vernacular, like do the dang thing, like do it. It's there and I know it's hard and I know it's difficult to build a life on. So we take up the Sermon on the Mount and it's full form is Jesus's words. And they didn't just carry, Jesus' words they didn't just carry authority for 2,000 years ago, but they carry authority today. And so we seek to know them, to practice them, and to live them out. Because we want to live the life that Jesus invites us to live. And let us not mistake this either. We want to do the things that Jesus did. We say that a lot. And we will continue to say that, but I don't want to mistake the reality that doing the things that Jesus did is what got Jesus crucified. And so I don't want to flippantly move through that reality. We want to participate in kingdom life unto Jesus as our king, and that has a high cost. It cost Jesus his life. And so we, we take this with like sober-mindedness we take this as a, a real difficult task and call. But because of Jesus' resurrection, we say yes to new life and new hope that is fulfilled beyond anything else this earth could possibly offer us. So we study the Sermon on the Mount and we give ourselves to it and to be formed by it as Jesus invites to live out his kingdom values and kingdom ethics in Street. And normally a teaching series like this would start at the beginning of a story. But some stories, and the Sermon on the Mount is one of them, are better off if we actually start at the end. And so we we actually practice and learn these things better if we know where we're going with them. And because we're going to start at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a really clear explanation about what we about what we should do with the Sermon on the Mount, about building our life on the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a Bible in front of you, turn with you turn in it to Matthew 7 Matthew 7 verse 24. And this is Jesus speaking um, and he's about to tell a bit of a parable right as we're entering into this text. The parable is about uh, someone building their house, and what Jesus is referencing this to is, is ultimately building a life. So keep that in mind as we read. Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, the Sermon on the Mount words, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great breath. When Jesus had finished these teachings, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So what we want to see clearly coming from these scriptures. First we want to see that that everyone, every person is actively building. We're actively building some sort of life. We're actively participating in what's forming us and what is not forming us. For every yes that we give, we give a thousand no's and so we are we are actively being formed either by culture or by our family of origin or by the scriptures we are being formed into a house that is something and ultimately what that comes back to is is usually our worldview, how we view the world or what some people call a map of meaning the things that we see as valuable and meaningful in this world so we build a life around them and so often We end up building our lives around career, or happiness, or family, or security, or comfort, or maybe more pointedly, for us here in Bakersfield, we build like this middle class sort of life that is comfortable, that we get to come home and pull in our garage. And we sit in our nice backyards with tall fences and never actually get to know our neighbors, let alone figure out how to love. Our neighbors and so we all build some sort of life and maybe that that is is a part of our truth and a part of our reality or a part of of what we think is our truth and a part of what we think should be our reality because what ends up happening when we construct our own worldview apart from Jesus's teaching is that we construct a worldview that, that surely must crash Jesus says so himself But secondly, often we take a little bit of Jesus, and we take the best of what we can sort of figure out on our own, and we mix those things together, and we end up building a life that we never actually really wanted in the first place. A life that actually has nothing to do with kingdom or Jesus at the center. And we end up making a thousand little compromises of who we don't actually want to be, and we miss the point altogether. It's what often happens in our city. Not that, not that we, we build a house um, toward, the dire- like, toward the direction of Jesus, but without him at the center, we just make all of these small compromises on the outside. And, and it, it ends up, what ends up happening is we end up, it, it, that, that foundation that we've laid ends up affecting everything that we touch and that we do. It's the reason that sometimes in our own hearts, my own heart, we have a hard time coming downtown because we don't know how to interact with people who are homeless anymore. Because we don't actually see them as people. We see them as a problem to be solved, not as people or neighbors to be loved. And I understand the complexity of that situation. I I fully get it. But let us not build or construct a worldview that allows us to compromise on who our neighbors are on who who the good creation is, on who the Imago Dei is, the people who have been made in God's image. Let us not compromise that. But when we build on something other than Jesus, we end up allowing our lives to be formed by different things that end up looking nothing like Him. And Jesus says that building a house in that way is like building a house on the sand. you see, we all know someone who's done that. We all look to someone older than us, or it, it's even built into like the narratives that we tell in our culture, where we see people who have labored in a specific space, and toward the end of their life, that space all comes tumbling down. Whether that's someone who's like invested their whole life into a career, and it's a beautiful career, and it makes enough money to support their family, and they get to go on nice trips, and they get to do nice things, but at the end of their life, they end up having worked their lives away for something they never really liked or loved. They've built a life around something that's actually called them to compromise themselves the entire time. Or you build your life, or you build your life in so many different ways. There's so many things we end up building around. We see this quite often in the stories we tell. My wife and I, we love cheesy Christmas movies. Anyone else? Cheesy Christmas movies. Like one, two, of you are honest. Everyone else is lying um, in the back. So cheesy Christmas movies. So in the story arc of cheesy Christmas movies, there's always this character that's building toward the climax that ends up ruining or losing everything in their life. They lose it all before they go on to find like fulfillment and meaning and purpose. And so it's just part of the cultural narrative we tell ourselves that we won't become like that person, but over a thousand small decisions, we end up becoming exactly like that person or the person we never really wanted to be. And so we celebrate Easter today as we receive an invitation from Jesus' words to build a different sort of life, One centered around the life and the death and the resurrection and the teaching and the sermon and the scriptures of Jesus. One with power and with meaning and with a story arc that doesn't have us at the center. And the reality is that if Jesus didn't rise, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't build a new sort of life. We shouldn't look at studying the Sermon on the Mount. It's too difficult if Jesus did not rise. We shouldn't even be in this place planting a new church, doing a new thing in an old city. Because if there's not new hope and not new life that comes from resurrection, then we are quite literally, as Paul would say, wasting our time. That our faith is futile. But because he did rise from the grave, we get to be a part of a new story, a new hope. A new picture of Jesus' kingdom breaking out in the city, yes, but also in our own hearts. Where we tear down this construction of a building that we've lived in for so long and submit to the way of Jesus as he looks to partner with us in building a new sort of building. A new sort of life where we participate in what he's doing in the world. And the reality is that Jesus, Jesus rising from the dead beckons us to a new sort of life. Not a stagnant, complacent, comfort, security-driven life, but a new kingdom-oriented, people-oriented, neighbor-oriented life. A life built around love primarily because God is love and Jesus invites us to walk in the maturity of love as we follow him. And so what? How, like, how do we even do that? How do we build a new life with Jesus at the center? And the beautiful part is, like, it's not something we do on our own. We do it with him, and we do it with each other. We build a new life together that doesn't have just some, like, Jesus sprinkled in on Sunday, but has Jesus at the very center, at the very core of everything we do. We build a life that comes from a place of receiving God's love before we act. We receive God's love before we act in choosing to love our spouse or our children or our neighbor let alone our enemy we first must receive God's love and Easter Sunday is about Jesus's resurrection from the dead but not just in a factual truth that you think is true It's about a new life and a new work that he is doing today in his people in the here and in the now, in the downtown of Bakersfield. A new story in the city. Maybe even one day a new like Bakersfield sound. As we encounter Jesus, it's not just about receiving him into our heart at some point in our life. It's about receiving Jesus over and over and over and over again. That we receive his life and his death and his teachings. And we build a new life with Jesus. Where those beliefs in action. As the true and real foundation. Both of who we are and of who we are becoming. Artist and sculptor Henry Moore. Says the secret of life. It's to have a task. Something that you devote your entire life to. Something you bring everything to. Every minute of every day for the rest of your life. And the most important thing is, it must be something you can never possibly do on your own. What Henry Moore is saying is that a beautiful life is a life devoted to something that we aren't ever actually finished with. So then a wise man or a wise woman recognizes that a beautiful life is a life that never actually stops building on the foundation of the truth of who Jesus is in his teaching. In this parable, in Matthew 7, at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, it's really been our last year's experience we have quite literally seen houses that were built on the sand being wrecked and washed away by the storms of this last year and whether that is whether, whether that is like political agenda or whether that is social injustice or whether that is joblessness that is like ridden our nation and our families and our communities, whatever that is, we've seen it all like wrecked by the reality of this last year because we have spent so much of our lives building upon the wrong things that don't really matter and get washed away when the flood comes. And so today, Jesus invites us to build a different sort of house. And here we are in this moment together on Easter Sunday and all of us, each and every one of us, is right in the middle of beginning to build our life again. As we come out of a global pandemic and the world begins to reopen, we're right in the middle of choosing again what are the things that we're gonna say yes to? What are the things that we're gonna say no to? What do we want our life to actually look like and what are we constructing those things around? May we not waste this opportunity to place our metaphorical house in the hands of him who was crucified, buried, and three days later rose from the grave. May we respond as a wise person who rebuilds and builds their life on the person and the teachings of Jesus. Let us pray. God, I am so grateful that you you meet us in this moment. You meet us here. You speak to our hearts through your word and by your spirit and say, I have something more for you. I understand the road we have traveled in the past may be an easy road, but I have something more for you. And so, Jesus, as your church, as your people, may we have the courage to say yes to the beautiful more that you have for us. May we have the the bravery to step away from some of the things we've built our life around, even tear down some of the things that we've built our life around, and have the, the faith, the belief in action To say yes to you, Jesus, and reconstruct a new life. And it may not be as easy, but it's sure more beautiful. So God, I pray that you would just, like, by the work of your spirit, just encourage the hearts of the people here today. That, God, we could trust you as the builder and architect of our life. And that we could actually, we could trust you in that way. We, we may not have ever been able to trust anyone with anything in our life before, but could we trust you with that? And like a good father, you're patient with us. You love us. You meet us exactly where we are. You don't say that we need to, like, catch up to where we ought to be. You come to us right where we are, and you grab our hand, say like come walk and be with me I've always wanted to be with you, God you've always wanted to be with you so Jesus help this church help these people help us build a life that is full of meaning because it's full of the kingdom it's full of Jesus it's full of what you are doing in the world God. awaken our heart that reality. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. As we move into a time of singing, uh, it's important to know that this space that we are now entering is actually the most important space of our gathering together. After submitting ourselves to God's word, we allow God and his spirit to churn our hearts and then we respond to him. We respond by singing, of course. We respond by crying out and by praying and worshiping. Um, We're going to have some people over here in this section available for prayer, if that's something that you want or need this morning. And I want to encourage you in that space in, in particular. If you're a part of church culture in the past, often we go to prayer when we have this like great moral failing we feel we need to confess and that is not what this is about this is about joining other followers of Jesus to say like hey this is what God's doing inside of me would you please pray with me or hey I'm hurting and I'm broken and this pain still hurts I just want to say it out loud and then let somebody pray over me and so we're gonna do that we're gonna have time for that while we sing And then in a little bit, we're going to gather around the table. We're going to get the bread and the cup. We have both juice and wine and bread and gluten-free crackers, um, whatever is comfortable for you. And then once you get that, we're going to sit back down and we're going to take that as Jesus' body together. And Brandon will lead us through that time. But join us as we sing.